everybody. Amen. Amen. It's good to be in church this morning. Amen. 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 Why don't we all stand? I feel like this is really loud. Does this feel really loud? Yeah, I might just go turn it down just a fraction. Um, let me see what I can do here. Test, 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 test. Is that a bit better? Does that sound a bit better? Not quite so loud. Testing, 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 test, 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 test. Is that better? That doesn't sound quite so loud now, does it? Praise the Lord. And while we're all standing, why don't we just open in prayer this morning? How about we do that? Precious Jesus, we thank you, Lord, that we can be here today. We thank you, Lord, that we can be in your house. We thank you, Jesus, for the opportunity to serve you, Lord God. Lord, as we kick off this new year, Lord Jesus, we're excited about what you're going to do, Lord God. Father, as we begin our life class this morning, as we begin to talk from your word, Lord, about what you would have us do for our lives today, Lord. Father, have your way, Lord Jesus. Let your will be done in our life, Lord God. Let your will be done in my life, Lord Jesus. Let your anointing rest upon each of our hearts today, Lord God. As we get ready to worship you, praise you, Lord God. Open up your word and learn, Lord God. We love you, we praise you, we thank you in the name that is above every other name, in the name of Jesus. And everyone said amen. <laughs> praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Well, God bless you. You may be seated this morning. It's good to see everyone that is here, and it's good to be in God's house again. And uh, I'll probably talk a little bit more about it later, but we had an amazing time at conference and it was so good after three years of um, not being together to be able to spend some time worshiping the Lord and um, listening to the preaching of God's Word. And, and you know, Brother Bernard did a phenomenal job and preached some awesome messages, and so did all the other preachers as well. It was just a great time of worship and fellowship together, amen. And I'm already looking forward to next year, so make plans. I want to try and get as many people as we can to conference. We had a good crew there. We had about... 15, I think, all up um, initially, and then, you know, we had some people who had to leave early because of family reasons and stuff like that, but that's okay. So that was really good, and I'm looking forward to what God is going to do this year, amen? Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So as we were driving back from conference, I was thinking and praying about our life class series that I wanted to teach about, and I was going through resources and seeing what notes I had and thinking about what God would have me speak about. And I found um, this, 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 thing, this, this thing popped into my mind, this idea of dealing with life's potholes. Because when we drove down the freeway on the way down to conference, it was really nice road. 110 kilometers an hour, it's nice and straight, you've got three lanes, it's just a beautiful road all the way down. On the way back, we came up the country road. Now, the country road was a lot more interesting. There's a lot more things to see on the inland road than there is on the outside road. On the inland road, we saw emus and baby emus. We saw kangaroos. We saw cows. We saw horses. saw a goanna. We saw a snake. We saw um, a hawk, a really big hawk. It was huge. It made the crows look like tiny and it was sitting on the side of the road and it didn't even move as we drove past it 100 kilometers an hour it just kind of looked at us as we went past it didn't care you know it was used to cars but the other thing we found on the country road 
is you've got to pay a whole lot more attention to driving. You can't just relax and just cruise because you're not guaranteed that the road is going to be in wonderful condition all the way. And there was numerous spots where there was a sign that said, Rough Road Ahead. And, you know, for the first couple of them, you're like, yeah, this is all right, this is all right. But then there was a couple of patches where there was big potholes on the road. And you're swerving around them, trying not to hit them. And there was a couple that we hit with a massive bang, scared the living daylights out of both me and Sister Janie, right? And the problem with potholes is that you often don't see them, and sometimes it's too late. You, you see it, and you think, oh, that doesn't look too big, and then you hit it, and you realize, oh, that was a bit bigger than I thought it was, right? And, and sometimes, just because of the way the road is, the curve in the road, the dips in the road, you can't see potholes, Sometimes, And if you hit them, and there was a number of times where Sister Janie and I were both praying after we hit one. Like, oh dear Jesus, I hope the tire's okay. I hope the engine's not going to fall out. I hope we're not going to have a blowout. You know, and thank the Lord, His hand of protection was on us. We started every single day praying, Jesus be with us. God us, protect us. You know, go before us, come behind us, Lord. Protect us in our way. We want to get home safely, amen. But those potholes, as much as you try to avoid them, sometimes they're really hard to avoid, right? And so when you drive on those roads, you have to take extra care. You have to drive a little bit slower. There were parts of the road that were so rough that in a 100-kilometer zone, we were driving like 40 kilometers an hour because the road was so bad. You're swerving all over the road to try and get through all the potholes. And life is a bit like that, amen? Sometimes there are potholes in our life that if we're not careful because we're driving too fast, we don't see them and we run into them. And they can cause all sorts of damage to our life, amen? We hit them and, and, and relationships break down. We hit them and, and we get frustrated. We hit them and we lose our temper. We hit them and things go wrong in our life. And, and sometimes I think we need to stop and just be aware, how do we avoid some of the pitfalls that we could face in life as Christians, amen? How can we avoid some of the potholes that we come across? And so we're going to use a particular character in the Bible, one that we haven't used very often, I don't think, certainly not one that gets preached about a lot, but we're going to talk about a new ruler of Israel, a king by the name of Rehoboam. Now put your hands up if you've heard of King Rehoboam. Right, a few of us have. So Rehoboam, he was given an opportunity to build upon the royal legacy of his father who was King Solomon. Now, King Solomon was the wisest king who ever ruled. And when he passed the kingdom to his son, it was one of the most powerful kingdoms in the world at the time. It was the biggest it had ever been. It was the richest it had ever been. It was the wealthiest it had ever been. And Solomon, his legacy came from his father, who, of course, was King David. So King Rehoboam was the son of King Solomon and the grandson of King David, amen. And yet, when you look at his life, you see Rehoboam fell. His kingdom was divided. Everything went wrong for him. And uh, in short, King Rehoboam, driving the legacy of his kingdom, hit some really big potholes, if we want to continue the analogy. And so we're going to have a look over the next four weeks at the potholes that King Rehoboam hit 
as he was trying to build his kingdom, trying to maintain the legacy that his father Solomon had given him. Amen. So let's talk about King Rehoboam first, a little bit of a background. Rehoboam was the son of Solomon, I mentioned that, and the grandson of King David. And David ruled after God removed King Saul's lineage from the throne. So you remember King David was not King Saul's son. Right, so there was a cut in the lineage after King Saul. King Saul disobeyed God. He didn't obey what God had told him to do concerning Amalek. And so God removed King David from the throne of Israel, removed his sons, and instead he placed King David on the throne. Amen. And so Rehoboam was King David's grandson. And the Bible describes King David as a man after God's own heart. Right now, now, King David wasn't perfect. We all know that, right? He committed adultery. He committed murder. He disobeyed God as well. And it's interesting that David also disobeyed God, and yet the kingdom didn't get taken off him, did it? Interesting, isn't it? But the Bible says that King David was a man after God's own heart because he followed God's will. He always wanted to know what did God think about something. Even if he was wrong, he repented. And David was a man of worship. He was genuine in his pursuit of a relationship with God. You look at the differences between King Saul and King David. King Saul, the Bible said, wanted to worship God so the people could see him worshiping God. But David wanted to worship God just because he had a genuine desire to have a direct relationship with God himself. Amen. And so that was the grandfather of King Rehoboam. And then Solomon. Well, Solomon started off really well, didn't he? I mean, Solomon inherited this kingdom from his father, David. And God came to Solomon in a dream and said, you can ask anything from me and I will give it to you. Now, imagine for a second that God appeared to you in a dream and asked you, told you, you can ask me anything and I would give it to you. Now, some of us might be tempted to say, well, God, give me $35 million. That would be nice. I could really set myself up really well. I could build Pastor Gratian a nice new church building with that kind of money. Hello. <laughs> we might ask for lots of friends. We might ask for a good job. We might ask for a good car. And, of course, I believe Solomon was tempted with all that as well. God literally gave him an open checkbook and said, anything you want, just ask me and I'll give it to you. But Solomon's request for wisdom is what pleased God. You know, he chose wisdom over fame. He chose wisdom over military success. He chose wisdom over riches and wealth. And as a reward of choosing what God wanted him to choose, God blessed him with everything else anyway. King Solomon had military success. His kingdom was, as I said before, the most powerful kingdom in, in the region at the time. He had the best army. He had the best cavalry. He had the best horses. He had the best of everything. You know, the Bible says that, you know, even gold and silver was treated like nothing because there was so much of it. He was incredibly wealthy. Amen. King Solomon started off really, really well. Of course, the other thing that King Solomon did is he built a temple to the one true God of Israel. And that temple was incredible. It had to be seen to be believed. And it was in King David's heart originally. Right? But God told David, no, your son Solomon is going to build this. And so Solomon invested huge amounts of money and wealth and manpower and time and effort into building this temple. Why? Because he wanted to honor 
his God. He wanted to give his people a place where they could worship God. And it's in this season of Solomon's life, we get that scripture. It says, if my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray. Amen. It's a scripture we like to quote. Amen. But that came about because the man who built the temple had a heart to honor God. And this was King Rehoboam's father. Now, we know that later on, towards the end of his reign, King Solomon failed. Amen. And he fell into idol worship at the end of his life. But regardless of that, Rehoboam had in his grandfather and in his father two wonderful examples of what it meant to be a righteous, wise, and good ruler of the kingdom. Amen. So Rehoboam was Solomon's son, and he was the rightful heir to the throne. But because of Rehoboam's decisions, and this is what we're going to investigate and look into over the next four weeks, because of his decisions, Rehoboam would be the last ruler to rule over the United Kingdom of Israel. All 12 tribes were united under King David. All 12 tribes were united under King Solomon. But when Rehoboam took the throne, 10 of the tribes, a full 10 of them, left, split off from the kingdom of Judah and the kingdom of Benjamin, I think it was, and formed the nation of Israel. And you had the kingdom of Judah, this little rump state was all that Rehoboam had left because of the decisions that he made. Amen? So potholes is what Rehoboam hit. And a pothole, as I talked about earlier, causes significant damage if you drive through it. And if you don't miss it, if you don't avoid it, it causes damage. And and this is what Rehoboam did. He hit potholes that he could have avoided. He had the opportunity to miss it. He could have swerved around it. He could have made the right decisions. He could have slowed down, but he didn't. He picked the wrong road the wrong place, the wrong time, and made the wrong choices. And as a result, he lost the kingdom. Now, Rehoboam was a man of destiny. His path was clearly laid out before him. From the day that he was born, he was destined to be king, right? And you think someone like that, well, their life is just already all planned out. It's going to be amazing. Their father's house is wealthy. They've got everything they could ever want. Everything's going to be great. One day he's going to take over. All Rehoboam had to do was look at his grandfather David and look at the large part of King Solomon's reign and go, okay, if I just do what those guys do, then I can assume that I will miss potholes. I can assume that God will bless my life. Amen. All he had to do was to follow the path that they had laid out. But we know he didn't. He encountered potholes, if you will. And his lack of discernment caused him to fall into each one of those potholes. He didn't seem to have the wisdom to look down ahead on the road and go, hang on, I'm not on the right road here. This road is quite rough. I need to slow down and make wise choices. Otherwise, I'm going to get into strife. Amen. And so we're going to look at four specific decisions that Rehoboam made, resulting in him running into a pothole and resulting in his destruction. Amen. The first one, if you've got your Bibles, let's turn to the book of 1 Kings.
1 Kings chapter 11. I'm going to read a few scriptures here, and we might flick over to 2 Chronicles as well in a second. Say amen when you're there. 1 Kings chapter 11. Did I not say chapter 11? Verse 43. Y'all can't read my mind. That's crazy. <laughs> I keep forgetting I got the notes. 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 43. Say amen when you're there. It says this, And Solomon slept with his fathers. In other words, Solomon died. That's what that means. And he was buried in the city of David his father, and Rehoboam his son reigned in his stead. Verse 1 of chapter 12. And Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel were come to Shechem to make him king. And this is important. Let's flick over to Second Chronicles now. Second Chronicles chapter 12. So King Rehoboam, verse 13, strengthened himself in Jerusalem and reigned. For Rehoboam was one and forty years old, and I was forty-one years old when he began to reign. And he reigned seventeen years in Jerusalem, the city which the Lord had chosen out of all the tribes of Israel to put his name there. And his mother's name was Namah, an Ammonitess. And, verse 14, this is important, he did evil because he prepared not his heart to seek the Lord. That is the way the chronicler sums up the reign of Rehoboam. And I want you to notice here, we're going to look at a couple of other scriptures here, I want you to notice the contrast between Rehoboam's anointing and the anointing of his father and his grandfather. Look at this, Second Samuel. I'm going to Second Samuel chapter 2. So remember, the Bible says that Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all of Israel had come to Shechem to anoint him king. But look at this, 2 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 1. And it came to pass after this, that David inquired of the Lord. Who did David inquire of? The Lord saying, Shall I go up to any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said unto him, Go up. And David said, Whither shall I go up, or where should I go up to? And he said, Unto Hebron. So David went up thither, and his two wives also, Ahonamah, uh, uh, I can't say her name, Jezreelitess, and Abigail, Nabal's wife, the Carmelite. And his men that were with him did David bring up, every man with his household. They dwelt in the cities of Hebron. And the men of Judah came, and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. And they told David, saying, that the men of Jabesh-Gilead were they that buried Saul. Now, notice the difference here between Rehoboam's anointing and King David's anointing. Right? The Bible says that Solomon died, and Rehoboam his son reigned in his stead. Then it says, Rehoboam went to Shechem, 
for all of Israel went to Shechem to anoint him king. David, who knew he was going to rule, the very first thing that David did is he said, Lord, what city do you want me to go to? Or no, he actually said, do you want me to go up and get anointed? And the Lord said, yes, go up. And David said, what city do you want me to go up to? And the Lord said, I want you to go to Hebron. See, the difference between Rehoboam and David is Rehoboam just went to Shechem. He didn't check in with the Lord. He didn't say, Lord, where do you want me to go? Lord, what is your will for my life? Lord, would you have me go to this city? Would you have me even be anointed king, Lord? But David inquired of the Lord before he moved. He checked to see, God, what is it that you want me to do? Amen. He sought the Lord's blessing. He sought the Lord's favor before he moved. And Rehoboam didn't. He's starting to see one of these big old potholes looming up in, sort of in, in the windshield of Rehoboam's life. David inquired of the Lord. David sought the Lord's favor. What about this? Let's turn to 1 Kings chapter 1. Let's read from verse 38. We might jump over to the next chapter in a second too. First Kings chapter 1 and verse 38 says this, So Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada and the Cherthites and the Pelthites went down and caused Solomon to ride upon King David's mule and brought him to Gihon. And Zadok the priest took a horn of oil out of the tabernacle and anointed Solomon. So it wasn't even the people that anointed Solomon first. It was the priest. It was the representative of the Lord that anointed him. And they blew the trumpet, and all the people said, God save King Solomon. And all the people came up after him, and the people piped with pipes and rejoiced with great joy. So that the earth rent with the sound of them. Amen. Let's flip over to, um, should I read what this is saying here? First Kings chapter 3 and verse 3. I really might have to start wearing glasses. This is crazy. <laughs> 1 Kings chapter 3 and verse 3, it says this, And Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father. Only he sacrificed and burned incense in high places. But notice the Bible calls out the specific fact that Solomon looked at what his father David had done, and he followed in his father's footsteps. Solomon's attitude was, well, if my father served the Lord, I'm going to serve the Lord. If my father thought it wise to do this, I'm going to do what my father suggests I do. And you read earlier on in, in 1 Kings, David speaks to Solomon and says, pursue the Lord with all your heart. Make him your God. Don't turn away from him. Follow him with all of your heart, Solomon. Amen. But Rehoboam, Rehoboam did not seek the Lord's counsel. Rehoboam didn't even get the priest to anoint him as king. Rehoboam went to the people, and the people anointed him as king. 
Rehoboam was not interested in following the example that his grandfather, King David, and his father, King Solomon, had laid out. He went to Shechem and got the people to make him king. Now, why wasn't Rehoboam interested in having God's anointing over his kingdom? Why didn't Rehoboam want to have the priest anoint him? Why did he not think that was important? Here's what I think. I believe Rehoboam did not believe he needed God in order to be king. See, David understood, I am king because the Lord made me king. And Solomon got that message as well. But Rehoboam, Rehoboam didn't believe he needed God. He thought, I don't need God. I'm the prince of Israel. Of course I'm the king. Of course they're going to make me the king. Why wouldn't they make me king? It's my right to be king. He didn't believe that he needed God in order to be king. He believed that his heritage was enough. He believed that who he was as a person was enough to be king. He didn't need God. He was going to be king whether God was there or not. So he didn't need God. You know, Rehoboam watched as his grandfather David had walked with God. No doubt he was familiar. He would have been part of David's worship services. He would have been part in the tabernacle of David as a small boy. He would have seen his grandfather worshiping God. He would have been familiar with the proper way of how to worship God, how to approach God, how to seek God. He had watched his father reign. He knew what it was like to live in a kingdom, seeing God's wisdom at play across the entire nation as the nation had profited. He, he, he saw his father's love for God. He saw his father's dedication in building the temple and, and spending hours designing and, and making sure all the resources were there and negotiating with other nations to get the timber. And he saw the dedication to the things of the Lord that his father had done. No doubt he saw that his father placed great value on building the temple. But despite two godly examples, Rehoboam never decided to walk with God. You know, it is really interesting. Look, look at this. Let's go to Second Chronicles again. I want to point this out to you because this is important. These are little things that you notice in Scripture when you begin to study and, and there's meaning behind it. Look at this. Second Chronicles chapter 11. In verse 2. It says, But the word of the Lord came to Shemaiah. Who's Shemaiah? Well, he's the man of God. Saying, Speak unto Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, king of Judah, and to all Israel in Judah and Benjamin, saying, Thus says the Lord, You shall not go up, nor fight against your brethren. Return every man to his house, for this thing is not is done this for this thing is done of me. And they obeyed the word of the Lord and returned from going against Jeroboam. So Rehoboam was obedient to the man of God. That's a good thing, right? But here's the point you miss. God spoke directly to King David. King David spoke directly to God. King Solomon spoke directly to God. And God spoke directly to King Solomon. But King Rehoboam, he didn't talk to God. And God did not talk to him. God spoke to the man of God. And the man of God 
had to speak to Rehoboam. What does that mean? That means there is no relationship between King Rehoboam and God directly. There is no path of communication between the two. Rehoboam has said, I don't need God in my life. I don't need him to reign. I am the prince of Israel. I can reign in my own right. This is my kingdom. I'll make my decisions. You don't have any say, God. And God says, okay, well, we don't have a relationship anymore. God and Rehoboam were not on speaking terms. God had to speak to the man of God to speak to Rehoboam. There was no relationship there. Why? Because Rehoboam had equated his heritage as a relationship. And that is the pothole that Rehoboam hit. He thought, hang on. I'm the prince of Israel. My father served God. My grandfather served God. God gave us the throne. God promised David that there would always be a man from his tribe on the throne for all of eternity. So I don't even need to worry about a relationship with God. My heritage is enough. And so Rehoboam's pothole, and the first pothole that he hit, was that he substituted heritage for relationship. He substituted heritage for a relationship. But brothers and sisters, we understand that a relationship with God is personal. It's something that each one of us has to experience for ourselves, amen. We cannot have a relationship with God by proxy. We can't have a relationship with God through our parents. We can't have a relationship with God through our grandparents. We have to decide if we want a relationship with God for ourselves. Amen. And we have an incredible heritage. We really do. If you think about it, you know, sort of beginning in the early 1900s with the revival on Azusa Street and, and, and all the outpouring of God's Spirit that happened. You know, one of the most incredible things about that revival is that it was open to everybody. You know, it didn't matter what color, what background, what religion you were from, what story, life story you had. Everybody was welcome at these revivals, and God was filling whosoever will with the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit was being poured out, amen. And you know what? There was tremendous opposition against this movement when it first started. People did not want the oneness of God preached. They didn't want baptism in Jesus' name preached, and sadly... As a fact of history, they didn't even want people of different colors and races mixing together and worshiping God. And so there was a tremendous, oppor a tremendous opportunity around that, opposition around that, sorry. And of course today, as culture has changed around us, we are finding more and more that we are under oppression and under attack from the enemy, amen. You know, our stand for holiness, our stand for righteousness, our, our stand for separated living, that we should live our lives different to everyone around us, that we shouldn't conform to this world, but we're to be transformed, that, you know, our lives are meant to stand for something that is in opposition to this world. This world says, well, everything is correct. Nothing is wrong. That's your truth and my truth, and you stand for what you want to stand for. And, but no, we stand on God's Word, and God's Word calls some things sin and some things not sin amen God actually clearly wants his church to stand for something different and as culture is shifting more and more and more the differences between the church and mainstream culture out there are becoming wider and wider and wider and wider amen and we're going to get opposition for us amen but perhaps because we stand for something 
That's why Pentecostalism is one of the fastest growing Christian groups in the world. Because I, be, I believe the world is sick of this namby-pamby, wishy-washy, anything goes, whatever you want to believe is fine. No, the church stands as a beacon of truth and says, thus says the word of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Well, I believe it. Praise the Lord. But here's the important thing is, the important thing is, is that we can't just rely on our heritage. We can't just be grateful that we happen to be a part of a church that preaches the truth. We can't be just grateful because we're part of a church that speaks what God's word says and stands in opposition to where this world is going, amen. No, we've got to get a hold of something ourselves. Some of us people sitting here today, I know Jonathan, for example, if I can pick on him, he is a fourth generation apostolic Pentecostal. Amen. There's not many of those in this country because we've only had the truth of oneness of God for, you know, maybe the last 70, 80 years or so, right? But Jonathan's dad, that's me. I serve the Lord. I believe in this message. My dad, Brother Gratian, he preaches this message. He believes in this message. My dad's dad, my grandfather, he came into this truth. He was the one who brought the family in, amen. Amen. So we've got fourth generation apostolic sitting right here. Some of you have kids that are in church. Some of you had grandfathers that were preachers and pastors. But brothers and sisters, it doesn't matter how many generations you are. Each generation has to decide, am I going to have a relationship with God for myself? Or am I going to just rely on my heritage? Because it doesn't matter how many generations. If your father, your grandfather, your great-grandfather, your great-great-grandfather, Father, if they had a relationship with God, that's great, that's wonderful, but you have to have a relationship with God for yourself, amen. See, we can be third or fourth or fifth generation apostolics in heritage, but we can only ever be first generation apostolics in experience. We have to have an experience with God for ourselves. We cannot be like Rehoboam. And just rely on our heritage. Amen. Here's why. Because our heritage does not equal a relationship with God. When you get to heaven, and you stand before Jesus, and he opens up the books, and he says, well, brother, you know, you haven't done a great job. You really struggled. You didn't live for me. You had no relationship. You didn't pray. You didn't fast. And you say, oh, but my father lived for you. And my grandfather lived for you. You think God's going to, oh my goodness, that's right. I forgot about that. Please come on in. You're welcome. No. The Bible says that every man must stand before God and give an account for his own life. Every man, every woman. Our heritage is great, but it does not equal a relationship with God. Amen. We have to stand before him and give an account and an accord of our actions and our decisions on this life that we made as individuals. Amen. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing, because of course it does go the other way. You know, some of you, you are the first generation. You're the first member of your family that stood for this truth. You're the first member of your family that said, no, I'm going to live for Jesus. I'm going to be baptized in the name of Jesus. I'm going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to make sure my kids live for God. Some of you are first generation. And aren't you glad that when you get to heaven, God says, wow, you did so great. You were baptized. You were oh, hang on. Who was your father again? Oh, no, 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 no. You know, your father, no, no, you're trying to, meh, 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 not allowed in. 
No, we have to stand and give an account of ourselves. Amen. This is why, brothers and sisters, we have to be born again. We can't be born again by family. We can't be born again by proxy. We can't get baptized for our kids or baptized for the dead, as some religions preach. We can't fill ourselves with the Holy Spirit over and over again for all our families and friends and aunties and uncles. No, we have to be born again for ourselves. Amen. On the day of Pentecost, when Peter preached the gospel message, Jesus died, he was buried, and he rose again. The people asked him, how should we respond? In Acts chapter 2 and verse 37, the Bible says their hearts were pricked, and they cried out, saying, men and brethren, what should we do? And we know the story. Peter explained to them, you've got to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Peter told them, you've got to experience the same death, the same burial, the same resurrection that Jesus did. Hallelujah. Peter was not there filling out membership cards for everyone. Saying, oh, you're a member of the church now. and Oh, you're a member of the church now. and Oh, you're a membership of the church now. No. The only only way to be saved was every single individual, regardless of their family, regardless of their heritage, regardless of their background story, had to put their hand up and say, I'm going to repent of my sins. I'm going to be baptized in the name of Jesus, and I'm going to seek the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You cannot join God's church. You have to be born into God's church. Amen. And so Peter didn't hand up membership cards, and you might have physically been born into an apostolic home. But that does not replace the conversion experience. Every single one of us have to make that decision. No, I want to follow Jesus, and I'm going to obey His Word. Someone say, praise the Lord. Being born again is just the beginning, however. We have to continue to pursue a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not enough just to repent of our sins and be baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. That's just the first beginning. You're a newborn baby at that stage then. You have to make a decision. No, I'm going to pursue a relationship with God for myself. I'm going to seek Him in prayer. I'm going to seek Him in fasting. I'm going to seek Him in reading His Word. I'm going to make sure that my life follows the path that God has laid out for me. Amen. We have to develop this lifetime of personal personal devotion to living for God and doing what He has asked us to do. Amen. The experience of Acts 2.38 would have mattered very, very little if it wasn't for Acts 2.41. The Bible says they were daily in the temple and in fellowship and in breaking of bread and from house to house. You know, the day of Pentecost was not just a one-time experience. Conversion is not just a one-time experience. No, we are in fellowship with one another. We care for one another. We carry one another. We build one another up. We are doing life together. Amen. We support one another. We pray for one another. Why? Because each one of us has to have a personal relationship with God if we want to be saved. Amen. Someone say praise the Lord. Try that again. Amen. You know, have you ever noticed that in the wilderness when Israel was wandering and they got manna from heaven, God miraculously provided food for them. 
But if you notice that there was just enough for the day. God didn't give them an abundance. He gave them just enough for the day. God got angry with them when they tried to get more manna than what they were entitled to. As a matter of fact, all they got was worms and mold and corruption when they tried to get more than what they were allowed to. God gave them exactly enough for the day, and that was it. It is the same with our personal relationship with God. When we have a relationship with God, we have to learn to come to Him daily. This is why Jesus said when He was teaching His disciples to pray, give us this day our daily bread. He didn't say give us this day our weekly bread so we can just fill up on Sundays and then we'll be good, right? Give us this day our monthly bread. Give us this day our yearly bread, Lord, so we can be good at conference and then good for the rest of the year. No, give us this day our daily bread. The children of Israel were fed with daily bread. God taught his disciples to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Brothers and sisters, our relationship with God has to be a daily bread kind of relationship. Every day we've got to be talking to the Lord. Every day we've got to be in his word. Every day we've got to spend time with Jesus. I'm reading a book that Sister Janie got me. It's the journals of a missionary by the name of Jim Elliott. Anyone heard of Jim Elliott? He was a missionary to a country in Ecuador, to the country of Ecuador, to a tribe of Indians called the Akko Indians. Very, very remote. Long story short, they killed him. He died. He was killed with a lance. They, him and his pilot. He gave his life to preach the gospel to them. I'm reading his journals. His wife published his journals from when he was in college all the way up until the last journal entry of the day he died. And I'm reading them. And you read how he writes. He's so passionate about the things of God. And his journal entry have things like February the 16th. Here's what I learned from God's Word. February the 17th. Here's what I learned from God's Word. And every day he's learning new things. But then there comes a day where all of a sudden he misses a day. It jumps from February 17 to February 19. And the diary entry, the journal entry on that day says, Father, I've been an unbeliever. I didn't get into your word yesterday. I missed a day and, and I'm hungry and I'm lost. And that's the guy's heart. How often do we go for one day, two days, four days, a week, two weeks, without even opening God's word? Brothers and sisters, we must have a daily relationship with God. We have to pursue things that are pleasing to Jesus. You know, Paul was well educated. But Paul said to the Corinthian church that education was not the primary pursuit. As a matter of fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, he said he would rather know Jesus, even if it meant he had to give up every other little bit of knowledge that he had. He would still rather exchange it for Jesus. We have to pursue things that are pleasing to the Lord. We have to pursue a relationship with Jesus. What does that mean? It means two things. It means it's going to cause us to abandon some of the other things that we are pursuing in this life because they are not compatible to a relationship with Jesus. Think about the story in Matthew chapter 19 of the rich young ruler. He came to Jesus and said, Father, what might I do that I could have eternal life? And Jesus said, well, obey the law. And the rich young man said, well, I've been doing that from my youth. Why? He had the heritage. He had the heritage. 
He was in the right place. He knew the Lord. He knew what he had to do. His father had taught him to follow the Lord. And Jesus said, there's one thing you've got to do. Sell all your goods, give the money to the poor, and come and follow me. The Bible says that the rich young man turned around and walked away. Why? Because he felt like he wanted to pursue wealth and riches. And pursuing wealth and riches for this rich young man, pursuing wealth and riches was not what God wanted for him. God had another plan for him. And he had to choose between the two. Brothers and sisters, there is nothing wrong with education. There is nothing wrong with having money in the bank. There is nothing wrong with owning property and having cars. God wants to bless his people. But when these things come, when God has specifically said, No, I want you to give that up and come and follow me. That's when we are in danger of losing our relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen. So one of the things is we need to... Make sure that the pursuits that we are pursuing are in line with God's will for our life. The second thing is that we shift our priorities. Brothers and sisters, as we all stand this morning, we need to look at our life and go, Lord, what are the priorities in my life? It's not enough for me just to be a part of this church. It's not enough that my, my, my father and my grandfather lived for you. It's not enough that my parents lived for you. I need to make a decision. God, I'm going to choose a relationship over heritage. I'm going to choose you first before I choose anything else in this world. Let's lift our hands. Precious Jesus, we worship you.